Welcome to God's Truth. I'm your instructor, Dr. D. Todd Harrison, as we continue to flood the world with God's everlasting truth. We welcome you to our new lesson this week. We have now just completed the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But there's more to come. We still have set the whole second half of the New Testament, which will begin to study the beginning of the Church of Jesus Christ in the in the former days, in the days just after Jesus' death and uh, resurrection. And we'll see the apostles now in the second half of this year, uh, mainly focused on that great spiritual apostle Paul, uh, the indication of the true church of Jesus Christ being upon the earth is that there are apostles upon the earth, both spiritual apostles such as the apostle Paul and administrative apostles serving in a quorum of the church. I'm also more aware of that kind of apostle today in today's church, the, member, the members of the quorum of the 12 apostles, but from time to time God has called spiritual apostles outside of the quorum of the 12 and we have that with Paul, who is the dominant figure in the second half of the New Testament. Beginning in the in this week's lesson, we see that interesting apostle Peter, right? Always so anxious, so um, volatile in his behavior. You know, it's the Lord on the on the the Lord's over there on the on the sea, and he jumps in and goes swimming and, and over to the Lord and see all these things, but yet he's denying Jesus that he even knows him three times. Uh, here in this great lesson, after Jesus appears to the apostles, we're going to see Peter uh, give two great uh, uh, addresses, sermons, talks, in which he baptizes thousands of souls. So now he's the gung-ho Peter again. Later on, and we know from the, uh, the church history, he'll take a back seat as, uh, as Paul comes to the front. Uh, there's some indication that Peter may have even fallen to inactivity in the church for about 14 years after being arrested a couple of times and suffering and so forth. But then that same Peter is always, you know, very volatile in his personality will become at the end of his life, the rock, the rock that Jesus had always hoped. And Peter himself will become firm again in the, in, in the church, firm in serving the Lord. Uh, firm in, in helping to spread forth the gospel of Jesus Christ and will even give down his life being hung upside down for he did not feel worthy to be crucified the same as his Lord was. Okay, so it's exciting second half of the New Testament coming up this year. Uh, we will begin in Acts. <laughs> the Acts of the Apostles. This is volume two of Luke. He first wrote the Gospel of Luke. This is now part two. And so we begin in Acts chapter one, uh, verse one through 11. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus. So we saw that this is the Greek, Theophilus, Theos, God. Uh, and uh, so we get the Phil, uh, 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 you know, part of the uh, love, right? The lover of God here, right? The Theophilus, lover of God. God of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach what he did in volume one of Luke. Now he's writing a new treatise to this Theophilus to talk about the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. Up until the day in which he was taken up, 
after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, we don't know. This was obviously not probably 40 days consecutive. We see that he appeared in the upper room, and then eight days later he appear, appeared a second time when Thomas was there eight days later. Uh, and we have him appearing in the uh, Sea of Galilee. And so you know, these are multiple appearances, uh, maybe 40 days uh, of appearing. To his apostles, he wanted to make sure their testimony was secure and firm, and that they had a not just a, a burning of the bosom, not just peace of mind, but that they had a sure foundation, a a a, um, a sure testimony, uh, knowledge, perfection, and uh, perfection knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and that he rose from the dead, so that they would be willing to give up their own lives. For Jesus, who had been risen from the dead. Okay, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me, they need to receive the Holy Ghost. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked to him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? So there's still, he's, he's risen from the, from the dead. He has initiated his spiritual kingdom. He's uh, conquered death, hell, and the grave. He's conquered Satan. And the apostles want to know if uh, at this time they're going to, he's going to save the uh, uh, Israelites uh, from the Roman, from the Romans. Uh, you know, possessed the land, right? And the Roman soldiers walking around in the streets. He says here, and he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is upon you. You want power of God, you get baptized and you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, then you shall have power. And he shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in all Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We know that Thomas went as far as India to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They went to, as he told them to do, he went, they went to the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, and here we go again, right? You can't ever make it very far. Now again. Again, we know that there's new people. There's always new people coming to these videos and so forth. For those of you who've been with us the whole time, we've been doing this now for a year and a half. You've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of references. But for some of you, this is going to be new, what the doctrine's the teaching here. But let's go for it. If you, if you have any trouble with this, just lay it aside for now and just start watching all the way or all in the Old Testament, especially the second half of the Old Testament. Uh, many times in the, the New Testament early on, but it's been a few weeks. But here we're right back to it, right? It says, and, and when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he, Jesus, was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight, right? 
the same kind of clouds that fly at 3,600 miles per hour uh, that, uh, you know, right? It's taken out, right? Cloud took him up, right? Now, we know that God does not fly on literal clouds. We've looked at this several times before. The apostles and the prophets are doing their best to describe what they're seeing. They don't have vocabulary for airplane. They don't have vocabulary for helicopter. Uh, they don't have any vocabulary for all, for any of these, uh, any kind of flying vehicle. They don't have vehicle, right? They've got chariots and clouds to work with. That's why oftentimes the prophets describe it as, as a chariot, like in the case of Elijah being taken up in heaven in a chariot, right? Not Santa Claus. He's not flying, you know, in the sleigh, in the sleigh being, you know, behind Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, right? Uh, but that's the way to describe it, right? The, the chariots and clouds. So here we get Jesus going right up into this flying vehicle, the chariot, and just like they've been tracked on Navy radar, and so forth, that they can go up to 3,600 miles. They can go up 30,000 feet, drop down in, in the 0.75 of a second, hover over ground. They can go in water. They can come out of water at high speeds without fracturing the uh, the, the vehicle that they're in. Uh, we see all kinds of wonderful things. And the, the government has spent millions of dollars now continuing to investigate this phenomena. So whether that's exactly it or whether God even has things even more powerful than that, we see in Psalm 68, 17, he's got more than 20,000 of these. This was 3,000 years ago. If they've been building for the last 3,000 years, they've got far more than that uh, today. Okay, so Jesus goes up in the cloud, up into this flying vehicle. He flies off immediately, sharp right to turn like they could do, right? And, and, and all these things. Now watch this. And verse 10, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. So two angels appear, right? Which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven, right? This was literal. This was literal. Jesus didn't just vanish or disappear. He literally went up in a flying vehicle up into the sky and flew off. So they're looking up into heaven. Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? They saw him literally go up. The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, so shall come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. He's coming back in their flying vehicles. We've seen dozens, hundreds of references to this. For those of you who follow us each week, this is uh, nothing new here. N nothing new here anymore. This is, continues, continues to preach it all the way through the Old Testament, the New Testament. Uh, we even have already referenced a couple of verses already in the Doctrine and Covenants, in the Book of Mormon. This thing has been taught all the way through all the Holy Scriptures since the world began. Okay, and we see, and then that's why they describe the Jesus coming back on a white horse. <laughs> Jesus in the armies of heaven, folks, I'm sorry to tell you, they are not actually riding horses through the sky but they're on white flying objects coming back. Fire's coming out of the horse's mouth and out of Jesus' mouth because they're shooting missiles and bombs down to destroy the wicked, right? But they're trying to describe it the best they can. They don't have the vocabulary for bomb, 
for missile, no, no vocabulary for that in ancient <laughs> ancient Hebrew, right? So they're doing their best to describe what they're seeing. Jesus on white horses. These are white objects flying through the heavens, fire coming out, destroying the wicked. Okay, so ye man of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from me into heaven. So shall come in like manner, just as you saw him go off, he will come back with his angels on their 20,000 plus flying chariots. Okay, so now let's move to 21 through 26. Wherefore, these men which have accompanied com with us at the time, so, um, well, verse 20, they quote a psalm which is no longer in the book of Psalms, uh, lost scripture. 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell in, and his bishopric lake, uh, let another take. Now, this historically, we know what's, we now know what's really going on here by having studied Christian tradition, Christian history the non-canonical uh, gospels for their history. This is they're deciding the new head of the church, uh, but the Catholic church writes it out because they're trying to make Peter the, the leader because they've developed a tradition that Peter and Paul uh, came to Rome and preached the gospel and so forth. So they don't like the idea that James here is being chosen as the head of the church. So this has been removed now, and now it becomes, instead of the bishopric, right, the, the head bishop of the church, now they're choosing now to just fulfill the uh, um, vacancy in the Quorum of the Twelve, right? The, the scripture references the, to the bishopric, uh, let, let uh, no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let, let another take. And now we're going to start suddenly talking about fulfilling Judas's uh, uh, role here. Wherefore, these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Now, it's important here because this is the qualifications for an apostle of Jesus Christ. Not an administrative apostle of Jesus Christ, but an apostle, a witness of Jesus Christ, right? There's a difference here, right? People can serve administratively in a, a position called a, an apostle, called a member of the Quorum of Twelve, but may not have fulfilled this requirement of being a spiritual apostle. So here we go. So how do you determine a spiritual apostle here? He says, from the time that, that we were with Jesus and went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us, with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two. So there are two additional. Now we know from 1 Corinthians 15, there's 500 brethren who've seen the Lord. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So the main point being here, to be a, a apostle of Jesus Christ, one has to be a witness of his resurrection. You're not a witness of the resurrection if you've just simply felt a burning of the bosom, or if you've simply uh, felt some peace in these things. These are things that are good, and they help build up your, your testimony you could have a testimony of Jesus Christ that way, 
but they're looking at real witness. Remember in the in Numbers, uh, it's either six twelve or twelve six. Uh, God already decided. Uh, how do you know if a prophet is among you? I, the Lord, will will speak to him in a vision and appear to him in a dream. Unless you've seen Jesus Christ, you're not an apostle. There's multiple churches that have body administrative bodies called the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, and maybe maybe a lot of them may be good men in, in these different churches and so forth. But uh, you know. And you may call yourself an apostle because of an administrative position that you're in. But if you want to be a true apostle, we're going far beyond just peace of mind and burning in the bosom type of stuff. We're talking about actually seeing Jesus Christ being a witness of his resurrection. Then you are an apostle of Jesus Christ. But then you're also under an obligation, right? God doesn't just appear to you just out of curiosity. It's like, well, I would really like to see Jesus one day. And then Jesus is not just suddenly going to appear to you, right? Jesus appears to you as part of that obligation. It becomes an obligation. A covenant is made, right? A covenant is made between you and the Lord that you're going to spend the rest of your life serving him and testifying of him to all you come in contact with. Then you fulfill your obligation to so be a witness of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's how they decide here, Matthias and they Matthias and Justice, and they do a lot, and they hope God will bless them with that, and a lot falls upon Matthias. And they call Matthias to be a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, an administrative function, and he's also a witness or apostle of Jesus Christ, having been a witness of his resurrection. So in this case, he's both, right? He's uh, he's an administrator. He's an administrator member of a priesthood quorum that has priesthood keys and, and powers and authorities, the quorum of the 12 apostles. But he's also an apostle of Jesus Christ in that he is a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, so ideally you want both, right? You, you, if you're in a position like that, you want to not only be in the priesthood administrative uh, function, but you also want to be a witness of the resurrection. Okay, so that ends chapter one of Acts. Let's keep moving to chapter two, and we get great stuff here, don't we? Chapter two, verses one through eight. And when the day of Pentecost was finally come, they were all with one in, in one, uh, they were all with one accord in one Place. And that's all it should be with us. When we go to church, we should all be in one accord in one place. Right? And suddenly it came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language, teaching the gospel. And they were all amazed and marveled, said one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? Right? So they thought that, you know, the Galileans are not educated, right? <laughs> they, don't have, they don't have the best schools. The best schools are in Jerusalem, so... So heard these Galileans, how did they learn to speak foreign languages? And how that we hear every man in our own, la in our own tongue, our own language, 
wherein we were born. Uh, 12 through 24. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what, what does this mean and to hear him to do this? Others mocking said, well, these men must be full of new wine. Maybe they're all, all drunk. Right? But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing as but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, sort of quoting Joel 2 here, uh, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, the spiritual gifts of the church, where visions are not occurring, where spiritual dreams are not taking place, you do not have the signs of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. If prophesying ceases, the church is no longer the church. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun, so again, now here we go, talking about prior to the second coming, when the earth goes back to revolving around the star, not planet, the star, Kolob, it will appear as though the uh, moon will be turning to blood. Uh, the uh, sun will be darkened uh, because it's now thousands, millions of miles away. Uh, and uh, before that great and notable, uh, notable day of the Lord come, in verse 20. 21, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall, here we go, false apostate Christians, let's pay attention here again. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? So they like to, oh, they like this verse, don't they like this verse? Let's you know, give them a round of applause. It's a nice verse, right? It's a nice verse. So, you know, when you take scriptures out of context and you pick a verse here and reject the rest of the Bible and, and stuff, then they try to build up church on this, but they don't even know what it means. Let's read it again. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved from what? Saved just simply means being saved from death, hell, and the grave. So yes, yes, you're right. If you call on the Lord, you will be saved in the, in the uh, kingdom of glory. Beginning from the lowest level of the terrestrial kingdom, all the way through many levels of the terrestrial kingdom, go terrestrial kingdom, all the way up to the highest level of the terrestrial kingdom. Celestial kingdom would, would need to do this too, call the, call the name of the Lord, but there's going to be more things that the Lord expects of them, right? But you can be saved in the lowest level of the celestial kingdom and on up if you just call upon the name of the Lord. <laughs> but there's a major problem here. You need to call on the Lord. On the Lord, it says. You got to call on the Lord. What Lord? Well, the, the biblical Jesus, the biblical Lord, the one that rose from the dead with a body of flesh and bones that said to his apostles, handle me and see for his spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see that I have. If you believe the, the false creeds of the, of the heretical uh, uh, Christianity, if we can even call it that, 
that's not calling on the name of the Lord, right? You believe in a Jesus who has no body, no parts, no passions, totally contrary to what the Bible says. You're not calling on the Lord, as it says here. You're not, you don't have the promise of a level of salvation beginning in the telestial kingdom on up. Only those who call on the biblical Jesus, the biblical Lord, can be saved from death, be resurrected, from hell, come out of spirit prison into the beginning of the telestial kingdom and, and on up. So death, hell, and the grave, right? Death, hell, and the grave. You'd be saved by calling upon the biblical Lord who has a body of flesh and bones, as we have seen over and over again, beginning in Genesis chapter 1. Okay, so let's continue then. 22, ye men of Israel. So again, this is still Peter preaching this sermon. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. Why does God give wonders and signs? To prove that the gospel has been restored, to give proof that that person is one of his religious leaders, right? That God has his hand upon that person's life and working through them to perform such signs and wonders which god did by him in the midst of you as you yourselves also know you all know that jesus did it he was healing left and right raising the dead healing the sick heal, uh, causing the blind to see and the deaf to hear you all know people who have been healed by jesus him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of god this was god's plan from the beginning of the world before his spiritual children came upon this earth the plan was already in place that Jesus would come and be delivered over to the leaders and be crucified for the sins of the world. And by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up. God raised him up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Not possible that Christ should remain dead forever, for God was with him. God was his father, and God would raise him from the dead just as he did. Let's look 31 through 47. He seen this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. That's Peter's interpretation of this passage from Psalms. This Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which he now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he himself, but he saith himself, and he's quoting Psalms again here, the Lord said unto my Lord, Heavenly Father said unto my Lord Jesus Christ, uh, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy fold thy footstool. So once again we learn. That God the Father and Jesus Christ are two separate beings. Not one and the same being. They are two separate beings. One spoke unto the other. The Heavenly Father spoke unto Jesus. David saw this in vision and recorded this psalm in the book of Psalms. That my Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy fools thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. 
Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, The gospel of Jesus Christ is here, right? This is the gospel. Watch this. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. There's the gospel summarized once again. And for those of you who wonder as they did here, what shall we do? Repent, believe in Jesus Christ, become baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In the description of this video, we'll leave a link. I want you to click on that link and reach out to the missionaries and ask them how you can follow these here in Acts chapter two and to repent to be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For In verse 39, For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. So they did it. And that's what we're asking you to do. Today, the Lord is asking you to do the same thing. Repent and be baptized. And the same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So this great discourse, the sermon, talk of Peter, it helps 3,000 people uh, come unto God and be baptized. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread, so taking the sacrament weekly in church and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. Well, that we call that the law of consecration. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, right? and breaking bread from house to house, that eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. You know, oftentimes, uh, you know, how would it be, right, to be the, the temple attending people, right? As the, uh, you know, we try to encourage it, uh, the temple attendance as much as possible. These people were going to the temple daily. You can never go to the temple too much is the lesson here. Even if you go daily, that's just what the early saints were doing after all. 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved, right? Ah, <laughs> mission presidents, <laughs> mission presidents, uh, alert for mission presidents. Here we go. Let's read that part again. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. How would you like your missionaries baptizing, not just weekly, but daily? But who were they baptizing? Such as should be saved. They were not just after numbers here. They weren't just after, well, let's make my mission goal. You know, we're going to baptize 100 or 200 or 300 people and we're going to run it like a sales operation and we're just going to try to get whoever we can to come into church and, and be baptized. But then next week, we'll never see them again and they're certainly not saved, right? Those are not saved, right? Those people, you may have met your mission goal, 
<laughs> you may have got some good, great, impressive numbers. Those people your missionaries are baptizing are not such as should be saved, right? That's what God cares about. He doesn't care about 200 or 300 or 500 uh, people coming into the church uh, monthly. What he cares about is that those we're baptizing are the ones who should be saved. He wants us baptizing those who are going to come back next week and the week after that and the week after that and for year after year and after year and do great things and produce a lot of great fruit for him and his kingdom. So great verse of scripture here for you. Okay, let's continue on. Uh, chapter 3. And then this is another great one here. Beginning in verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. And a certain lame man, a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them to enter into the temple. So they bring him each day so he could beg for money. Right? Who was seen Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms and begged them, right? We have this today outside the temples, right? We have people outside our temples, you know, asking alms, right? And Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John said, look on us. So he's got to first start to believe and, and develop trust in them. He's got to concentrate here. He's got to, he's got to be focused if he's going to exercise faith to be healed. He said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them, right? He's had some faith here. I'm looking at you. I'm expecting to receive something from you. So starting to exercise at least the level of working faith that Peter can use here to heal him. In verse 6, then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him, right? And what, uh, You don't just speak it. I know Jesus did that at times, but you don't just speak it. You got to still do some kind of action so that they can exercise their faith to receive it, right? And he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up. And immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. I knew of a situation one time where two missionaries gave a blessing to a man who had been uh, been lying in bed for a long time, and they felt the spirit of the God, uh, spirit of God, tell them to rise up and walk. But as they stopped short there, right? They stopped at that. They stopped at that. They didn't pick him by the hand and raise him up. If they had done that, he would have healed. But they failed, right? Because they didn't exercise their own faith, right? The person being healed needs to exercise faith, but the people that or that God's using to heal need to exercise faith too. They should have reached their hand and pulled them up to his feet, right? But they didn't. And what a great lesson that those two missionaries learned, right? And so immediately his feet and the ankle bones received strength. And he leaping, not just walking, but leaping, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which had sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. 
And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people. Now, presents again by doing the miracles for God, presents opportunities to preach for God. God has now put together a group of people that have heard of the miracle, and they're willing now to listen to what Peter has to say. Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? And when you perform miracles, it's important you never think that it's you doing it or get caught up in your pride that because God used you to perform miracles that somehow you're you're great because God did miracles through you, right? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, our God, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom he delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Remember, Pilate wanted to let him go. He kept saying, I find no fault in this man, but they continued to begged that he crucify Jesus Christ. But she denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. The choice was given. Barabbas, the son of the fathers, what his name meant, Barabbas, who was a killer, a murderer. They knew he was guilty. Right? Or Jesus, who claims to be the son of the father. But they wanted Jesus, the son of the father, who was guilty of murder. And desired a murderer to be granted unto you rather than Jesus Christ. And killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead. Whereof, again, bearing testimony, we are his witnesses. And his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong. Whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I want that through ignorance you did it. So I know you really just killed Jesus out of ignorance, as also your rulers did. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all, of his, of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. Christ, not one word that's been spoken by a prophet under the guidance of the Holy Ghost shall come to, to be void. It shall all be fulfilled, whether by the mouth of his servants or by his own mouth, it is the same. 19, therefore, the gospel of Jesus Christ, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ a second time, which was before was preached unto you the first time whom the heaven must receive, having gone up in the cloud, until the times of restitution of all things, the restoration of the gospel, always prophesied that, that Jesus would start a religious movement, that people would once again sin, and the church would fall into apostasy. But in the latter days prior to his second coming, the gospel would be restored once again. Restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets, not just one or two, but all of them, since the world began. If you don't have a scripture, a book of scripture that, does, that mentions that, that's lost scripture. It was there. He, That prophet, according to Peter here, did speak of this subject and topic. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, 
A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him you shall hear in all things, whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet, Jesus Christ, if you will not hear Jesus Christ, you shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days of the Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Powerful speech of Peter here in chapter 3. Moving on to chapter 4. Let's look at uh, uh, verse 1. As they spoke unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees. <laughs> Every time you have a powerful uh, sermon, a powerful preacher preach to you, Satan will want to come along afterwards, right? And that's what he does here, working through the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, Satan comes among them. Being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They had been denying it, the Sadducees. That's what the Sadducees are famous for, denying the resurrection. That was their dispute with the Pharisees. The Pharisees said there was a resurrection. The Sadducees said there wasn't. And here they're preaching the resurrection. <laughs> you got to love it. And they laid hands on them. And put them in hold into the next day in, in jail. How about many of them which heard the word believed? And the number then was about 5,000. Earlier he baptized 3,000. Now you got 5,000 believing because of this powerful preacher that God was able to use through St. Peter. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes, and even Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, by what power or by what name have you done this? Right? They're furious. They're angry. Right? Then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. And remember, Jesus said that you will appear before the, the, uh, the rulers, the councils. Don't, don't think before what you shall say. But if you come with the spirit of prayer in your hearts, the Holy Ghost will give you at the very moment what you should say in your defense. And so that's the point here being made, that Peter, being filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, and so the Holy Ghost leading them into this speech here, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you all. Wow, mighty powerful preacher here in St. Peter. This is the stone which was set at not of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. No, there is no other name among uh, under heaven given whereby man must be saved other than by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, when they saw the boldness, and this was boldness, of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men from Galilee of all places, right? they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it because the, it was evident they had healed this man, right? He was their, their witness, right? But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves. So they made Peter and John step outside the council for a minute so they could hold a consultation, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a no, notable miracle has been done, is manifest to all of them that dwell in Jerusalem. And even we ourselves cannot deny that they performed this miracle in the name of Jesus Christ. In 17, but that it spread no further among the people. Let us threaten them that they should no more speak in, in, in the name of Jesus Christ. And they called them, Peter and John, they called Peter and John back, and they commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. <laughs> in 19, but Peter and John answered, here we go, this is the answer you should have, right? If people ask you, why do you preach Jesus Christ? Here we go. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it is it right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, judge ye, right? Is it more important to listen to God or to listen to you, you rulers of Jerusalem? For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Those are the things we have no choice. We have no choice. And so shall we. We should have no choice but to speak and preach the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, so then they just, they don't know what else to do, right? So they threatened them a second time. They let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people, for they were scared of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. They were all praising God for the miracle that had been done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was, was showed. It wasn't just that suddenly, you know, he was lame for a couple of years and that he walked before and suddenly couldn't walk and now he's walking again. For 40 years he couldn't walk. Now he's walking. Everybody knew him. He was outside the temple every day. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. Okay, so then we go on to um, 29 through 31. And now, Lord, behold their threatening. So this is prayer they're having now. And it says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. They know that they were in trouble for speaking boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. So they, now they're uh, asking God to continue to help them speak with that same boldness. You speak with the boldness of God, you baptize 3,000. You baptize 5,000. If you're scared and you don't preach with this boldness they're talking about, you'll have limited impact on the world. By stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. You want to perform miracles? You need to ask God to bless you, first of all, to even have those opportunities. Second of all, when you have those opportunities to have the same boldness to perform such miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. 
And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled like an earthquake. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness, right? Mission presidents with great lessons in this lesson here today. Now about teaching your missionaries to speak with boldness so that they can baptize 3,000 and 5,000. Speaking with boldness. If you're timid and you're not sure of yourself and you're not sure of your testimony of Jesus Christ, it's going to be hard to baptize anybody. But you speak with the boldness that Peter spoke. You will baptize many unto Christ and baptize those who should be saved. Right? That's the important part. Okay, we continue on now in 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. So again, they continue to do what Jesus asked them to do, is bear testimony and bear witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, doing so boldly and with this great power, as it says here. And so they continue to add to the church daily, as it said. Right? Okay, moving to chapter 5. And verse 1 through, uh, the beginning of this, verse 1 to 10, this is the one uh, one of the interesting stories here where Anna, um, where Ananias and uh, Sapphira, his wife, they sell a property. They, uh, they, uh, they, they hold back some of the proceeds. They don't give the full proceeds to the church as the others were doing, living this law of consecration, giving all their possessions to the church, and then the church giving to each as they had individual uh, need. And so they go to Peter and, and verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie unto the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not your own? You didn't have to sell it. It was yours. After all, we weren't, we weren't forcing you. We're asking you if you wanted to give this up unto the Lord and to the church, but we didn't force you to. And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? And you made the decision to sell it. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou was not light unto man, but unto God. It would have been better not to have paid your tithing and not to have paid your fast offerings and not have paid these things than to, uh, than to have lied about it, right? And that's what God's saying here, right? Okay, he says here in verse 5, Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. He falls down, he dies immediately. And great fear came upon all them that heard these things. And the young man arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him right away, immediate, immediately buried him. They don't even inform his wife about it. Watch this. Because then his wife comes in three hours later. You know, her husband's dead and buried. She doesn't even know anything about it. Yeah, it's about um, and the young man and, um, and the space in verse 7. And it was about the space of three hours later when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, tell me whether you sold the land. For X amount, that your husband had said, right? Well, did you really sell it for this amount? And she said, yes, for that amount. <clears throat> then Peter said unto her, how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Remember, he said it would have been okay. You didn't have to do it. You didn't have to sell it. You didn't have to uh, re report it, but but you lied. And that's what, you know, liars shall be thrust to hell, as Second Nephi says. In the book of Revelation, the liars will be with the adulterers and the murderers in, in the lake of fire and brimstone. God has no tolerance for liars. 
And uh, he says to her in verse 9, Behold, the feet of them which have buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry you out too. And immediately she falls down and gives up the ghost, gives up her spirit. And the young man came in and found her dead and carrying her forward, buried her by her husband. So the great lesson here is about dying. Not the not paying the tithing. That does not he's not gonna kill you off for that. But if you if you report falsely and lying to the Lord concerning the tithing and your offerings, then you have potential major uh, trouble, right? Okay, now let's continue on then in verse 11. And great fear came upon all the church. <laughs> no question. No question about that, right? If that happened today, great fear would come upon the church. And upon as many as heard these things. <clears throat> and by the hands of the apostles, once again, they want to let you know that these are true apostles because signs and wonders accompany them. They're not just an administrative body, administrative function, uh, church leadership, right? By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all in one accord in the Solomon's porch area of the temple. And of the rest, excuse me. And of the rest, there's no man joined himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more, even more than the 3,000 and the 5,000. People were even joining faster and faster. Were added to the Lord multitudes, both of man and woman. And so much that they brought forth the sick into the streets. Watch this, it's powerful. Right? Brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them and they would be healed if Peter would just walk past them. There came also a multitude of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with, with the unclean spirits, with the, the demonic possession. And they were healed, everyone. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which were the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation, right? We already told these guys to stop twice. We've threatened them, and here they're still preaching the resurrection. They're still preaching faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they, in verse 18, and they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night came and opened the prison doors and let them out and brought them forth and said, go, stand ye and speak ye in the temple. <laughs> they thought by arresting them, they would at least be quiet overnight at least, right? The words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught, right? But the high priest came and they that were with him and called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. So they go bring them out of jail, right? <clears throat> They're going to find out they've been preaching in the temple. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and they said, 23, the prison truly we found it was all shut up and all closed. I don't know how they got out of there. And the keeper standing without before the doors. But when we had them open, we found no man therein. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold the man, the very man you put in prison, and we found him, the preaching and teaching in the temple. 26, Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. They're worried the people are going to stone them. 
And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in the name of Jesus Christ? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine of Jesus Christ, and intend to bring the this man's blood upon us. Well, that's interesting, isn't it, right? We'll read that part again. And you intend to bring this man, Jesus Christ's blood upon us. Well, wait a minute. You had already told in front of Pilate that you were willing to have his blood upon you until your third and fourth generation. And now you're worried that his blood might be upon you after asking for such a thing? Very interesting. 29, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said what they had already said before. We ought to obey God rather than you, right? Rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him has God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. <laughs> there it is. There's the complete testimony, the complete witness of Jesus Christ. Both things are necessary to have the completeness of the testimony of fullness, a perfect knowledge of these things, right? So they're witnesses of these things because they had seen with their eyes and heard with their ears. They knew that Jesus had risen from the dead. That's on the one side. On the second side, they also had the witness of the Holy Ghost. One is not complete with the other. It would be theoretically possible to see Jesus Christ and not have a witness of Jesus Christ. In fact, we saw that, didn't we? And as we looked at the resurrection last week, there was the occasion where Jesus appeared at the Sea of Galilee, right? And it said that a lot of the apostles did not believe. They saw Jesus. They saw him risen from the dead. But they did not believe. Why? Because they didn't have the witness of the Holy Ghost that went with the with the scene, with the physical manifestation of Jesus Christ. So it's possible to see Jesus Christ and not have the witness of the Holy Ghost that you need along with it. There are also others who, who think that because they just have a witness of the Holy Ghost, that that's sufficient. That's the beginning of the Christian walk. That's the beginning of Christian testimony is to have the witness of the Holy Ghost. But we need to continue to hunger and thirst after righteousness until the promises and the doctrine and covenants is fulfilled, at which in this life, as Joseph Smith and Bruce R. McConkie and many other greats have talked about, that the, God will open the heavens and reveal himself to you while you live her, here on the earth. You don't stop growing in your testimony of the gospel until you not only have the testimony and witness of the Holy Ghost, but until you see the heavens parted and you see God and you see Jesus Christ. So here he's saying, we have both. We have both. We've seen with our eyes, heard with our ears, and also the Holy Ghost who God has given to them that obey him. We have both witnesses, both witnesses. And when they heard that, that they had both witnesses, the complete testimony of seeing and, and knowing and the witness of the Holy Ghost, they were cut to the heart and they took counsel to slay them. We need to kill them. They know too much, right? 
Then stood there up one in the council. Here we go. A Pharisee named Gamaliel. This is the famous Gamaliel. He is famous in the Jewish religion. He is the he's the founder, basically, of rabbinic Judaism. Uh, became the Judaism that exists today. He is the one of the greatest Jewish scholars that ever lived. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law. He had his PhD or THD. Probably had the equivalent of both in those days, right? had in reputation among all the people. They all knew him. People would quote him. Gamaliel said this. Gamaliel said that. And commanded to put the apostles a little space. Leave them alone a little bit. Here we go. And said unto them, this is the greatest wisdom, the greatest uh, uh, Jewish scholar of the Old Testament uh, in, in Jewish history, right? He said unto them, ye men of Israel, Take heed to yourselves what you intend to do as touching these men. Be careful what you intend to do with these. For before, before these days, there rose up Theudas, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves. And they were all killed, right? Claimed to be a prophet. And, and they were all killed, right? Josephus talked about this further if you want to research that. And, it, and um, to a number of men, about 400, joined themselves who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. And this man rose up, Judas of Galilee. You could again read more about his situation in, in the Jewish historian Josephus. And this rose up, Judas of Galilee, in the days of the taxing, and they drew much, away much people after them. So they were wanted to protest. Roman taxation and rebel against Rome. And he also perished. He was killed and all and all with him, even as many as obeyed him were dispersed. And so based on these two examples, we see that God was not with them. Had God been with them, their movement would have continued. Their What they started would have continued. 38, and now I say unto you, refrain from these men, the 11 apostles, and let them alone, for if this council, <clears throat> for if this council, or this work be of man, as we thought saw, as we saw with Theodos or Judas, it will come to nothing. Their movement will die off, and two thousand years from now, we will never hear the name of Jesus Christ. We will not hear of some church, some religion called Christianity, if it's not from God. But if it is of God, watch this. 39, but if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. And that's what it is with today. When people fight against the church of Jesus Christ, they are only fighting against God. And because the church of Jesus Christ is of God and from God and about God, you cannot stop it. You can write as many anti uh, Christian books as you as you take you, you can spend all day and night writing all the anti books. You can go around giving many anti speeches uh, for as many years as, as you want. That cannot stop the progress of the Church of God. Those wasted their lives in such pursuits uh, continue to fail as the Church continues to grow and grow and continue to fill the whole earth. 40, 
And to him that they agreed. So they agreed because they respect his great knowledge and wisdom. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them. I'm hoping one more time. Maybe we beat them one last time. Maybe we won't have to listen to Gamaliel. <laughs> uh, beating them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council. Watch this. Not complaining that, oh, I can't believe because I'm an apostle. I had to get beaten and, and, and it hurts and my body hurts. No, they did the opposite, didn't they? Watch this. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of God to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They did not stop. Thousands continue to come. Millions and millions upon the world today because of their boldness, because of their testimony, and because of their willingness to go forth and preach what Jesus had told them to say. What a great lesson to begin the second half of the New Testament in this year, 2023, and in the future years, when you, with those of you who come across this video in years to come, as we continue to, to go forward, the second half of the New Testament, we'll continue to see many mighty miracles that God performs through his apostles, both administrative apostles and spiritual apostles like Paul and Barnabas and so forth, as we'll see coming up. And so what a great lesson. Once again, we've been taught today under the feet of Jesus Christ's direction, under his as scriptures that he has given uh, to bless mankind upon the earth. His invitation now to you, for those of you not yet members of the church, is to come, come unto him, repent of your sins, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ by those who hold the priesthood and authority of God. You can then receive this mighty promise of power, this Holy Ghost, which shall come upon you and fill you with light and truth and knowledge and testimony. What a wonderful day your baptisms will be when you come out of the water fulfilling God's plan for your life. You will feel great, a great moment of uh, personal satisfaction and of the love of God being poured out into your soul. Reach out to the missionaries through description this link. Let them know you're ready to take upon you the name of Jesus Christ so you can be saved. For those of you who fall into inactivity, drifted away into inactivity in the church, we welcome you with full open arms to come back, come back to the community and the saints of God so he can bless you with this joy, with this peace that he continues to promise throughout the Holy Scriptures and to one day be able to sit down in his heavenly presence in the celestial kingdom on high. Closing, we once again testify that marvelous truth of these things. These things are true. They fill the joy. They fill the hope. They fill the soul with hope and joy and the love of God. In closing, we bless you to have uh, safe shelter overhead, to have food to eat, uh, basic resources financially, to be able to carry out the mission that God has in store for you in your lives, to have that joy, to know that you're walking according to his will for your life. We love you. We pray for you every day. And we bless you with these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the name above all names, 
The only name upon which we can be saved is our lesson today talked about. The name of his and his name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.